Amen. privilege to be here. Uh, again, I had a chance of teaching, I believe, like last spring, uh, so it's humbling to be here again. But I know many of you are like, I have no idea who this guy is. Um, so just to give you a little background on who I am, I, I came here uh, in sixth grade, and next week I'm turning 29, which is kind of weird to say. Um, but this has been my home church uh, for that entire time, and it's so cool to see God's faithfulness uh, in this church and be a part of ministry here. And uh, now being able to open God's word um, is amazing. The other day, the other Sunday, I was actually in uh, the men's restroom, and some of you guys are like, where's this going? <laughs> but, but, but I was remembering back when we built this church, the framing, when it was all open framing, we had the church come in and write scripture on the, on the studs, on the walls and things like that. And that, that memory popped back into my head. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, like in this building, the scripture is on the wall, like literally inside the, 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 the framing of the building. And I was thinking of the church, I mean, this, at the end of, of all things, right, this is just a building. And we want it to be used, and we want ministry to go out and God to be served here. Um, but, the same, but we think about it in terms of the church being that true building of God and how the real heart of what we want is that scripture to be infused in the core of who we are as the church. And so with that, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, and let's read the passage we'll be going over today. And can we stand uh, for the reading of God's word? I'll give you a second, because it's like, Jonah, I know... You always like know where it is, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, but then I'm always like scrolling through and I keep passing it because it's only, you know, two pages and I have to keep going back. All right, Jonah chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
Let's go ahead and pray and commit this time to God. Dear Lord, we just want to take a moment to be still before you, to recognize that you are God and we are not. In this time, Lord, we want less of us and more of you. Lord God, I want less of me and more of you, God, in this message. Holy Spirit, it says in the word that you are our helper, that you convict us of sin and where we're erring against God, and that you point us to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that all those things be taking place in this room right now and in our individual lives, Lord, that you are convicting where we need to be convicted convicted, and, and where we need to repent. But Lord, ultimately, that you point us to Jesus, Lord. And as we read through Jonah chapter 2, the prayer of Jonah, Lord, we, we desire that repentance and that surrender that, that we see in the chapter. So Lord, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. So Jonah is a cool book. I, I want to kind of uh, start the time with a little bit. John did such an excellent job of laying the foundations of Jonah chapter 1. But I want to step back a little bit and say how cool of a book this is. And, and really what that, what that is, is it, it stems out of this, um, the writing of Jonah kind of plays off of our expectations, right? And especially in the, in the mind of a, a Jewish, uh, ancient Jewish Near Eastern person who would, you know, hear some of these things to start out. They'd be expecting one thing, and then they'd hear the opposite. And a lot of these things were done to kind of accentuate the message that God wanted to teach through the book. But some of these that we see is, uh, number one, it's in the book of the prophets. And uh, if you guys have read some of the minor prophets or the major prophets, uh, you notice that what it says is the, the voice of the Lord came to a prophet, and then it goes into detail of what he said that the prophet was supposed to speak to the people of God. But Jonah is different in the, se in the sense that it starts that way, but then it goes into a story um, to teach us and illustrate the message that wants to give us. But not only that, but this, this story that we hear, um, the characters in it definitely don't do what you think they, they should do. You have the prophet Jonah, uh, his name, uh, Jonah son of Amittai, literally means dove, son of faithfulness. So you have this idea of a dove like, like uh, Noah and the ark sending out, he's being sent, and then you have faithfulness, he's, he's supposed to be this faithful guy, but then you read the story and you go, wait, this is actually the least faithful person in the story. And you're kind of, it's a little bit of a chuckle moment. You're going to go, oh, yeah. They're kind, of, they're kind of playing off of the name there. And then you have other characters in the story, like the sailors or the king of Nineveh or the people of Nineveh who are supposed to be these people who have hard hearts and who follow after different gods, yet their consciences are convicted when, they're, when they encounter the Lord's voice and they repent and they are moved by God. So again, all these things that Jonah does playing off our expectations, contrast, using some of these uh, literary devices 
it's all to point to this message. And at the end of the day, we want to look at scripture and say that every scripture in the Bible ultimately points us to that reality of Jesus and the cross. So we'll seek to do that today. But I wanted to highlight in chapter one a few things that we see. And um, so we'll do a little quick recap. We know Jonah, chapter one, God says to Jonah, I want you to go to preach repentance to the people of Assyria, and in specific, the capital city of Nineveh. Um, So Assyria was this large empire, kind of the heart of culture at that time. And as John touched on, they were conquerors. And they actually conquered the northern tribes of Israel and carried them away into captivity. Uh, They were known for um, brutality, um, as well as... Um, so you have two, two different empires you see in the Bible. You have Assyria and you have Babylon. Um, Babylon, as long as you paid your taxes and as long as you uh, paid homage to Babylon, they didn't necessarily care that much about culture. Like they could be like, yeah, you worship your other gods and stuff like that. Assyria was different in the sense that they would often try to infuse their culture onto those, th- those uh, people that they conquered. They wanted them to become like the Assyrians. So you think of a Jewish mindset where your identity, your culture, who you are is wrapped up in your belief and faith in God. And then someone's saying, no, you're going to change. So Jonah says, no, I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to be on the edge of, I'm going to go to the edge of the world. Um, and you and John touched on this, just that, that hatred he had for the Assyrians that, that caused him to say, no, I, I do not want to do that. I'm going to go the opposite way. So he sets out on a boat, and then we see that God causes this storm to get Jonah's attention, and then eventually the sailors, not knowing what to do, they throw Jonah overboard, and God prepares this fish, and now this prayer comes out of the belly of a fish. But chapter one, number one, we see Jonah's a prophet. So a prophet is someone who speaks the heart and mind of God uh, to his people. But Jonah had the, error, had the error of thinking that he knew better than what God's voice had said to him. So we see his response, his actions, are that he fights the voice of the Lord. Number two, he claims to know God. Here we see his, his actions are that he runs from the presence of God. And, he, and in doing so, he's denying some of the very fundamental attributes that God shows us. Uh, his omniscience or his, his all-knowing, uh, knowing all things or his omnipresence where uh, he is everywhere. Psalms 139, many of you guys are familiar with this, says, where can I go from the presence of God? I could be in the heights of heaven or I could be down in the depths of the earth, uh, but God is there and he's there and he knows what's going on. Uh, I love to to kind of do a mental exercise uh, when I think about God's omnipresence and omniscience. And that's imagine like a planet on the edge of the universe, right? Like so far away, we could never get there, millions of light years away. 
and on this planet is a rock, and it's just sitting there. And not only is God there, like in the presence of that rock, but he literally knows the entire history of that rock and what led it to be where it is right there. Isn't that crazy? Like thinking about the edge of the universe and like how God knows exactly what's going on. So when you think of God so big like that, and then your actions saying, I'm going to try to get away from him, it just highlights the, the inconsistency that humans can have in our small-mindedness. Finally, lastly, number three, and then we'll get into, uh, into the chapter here. He claims to fear God. Now, fear, and then, and then the action is that he, uh, he disobeys at every turn. Now, we, we understand that true fear or having that reverence for God always leads to the pursuit of God's desires and the enjoyment of them. So if we, fa- so if we say that we fear the Lord, we will uh, be running after his desires and finding enjoyment in them. So if you say that you fear the Lord and you, and you go backwards from that, the true fear of the Lord is not in you. So Jonah's kind of showing this cognitive dissonance. His, uh, his mind knows one thing, but he's doing the opposite. We see this at its, at its peak in chapter 1 when he's down uh, in the belly of the ship and the waves are raging and the ship's rocking, yet he's fast asleep. Um, I've had the privilege of uh, being on a year on an icebreaker and crossing the Pacific, the way the icebreaker was built is great for breaking ice, but when you're on the middle of the ocean, it's, they call her the polar roller. It's going like this all the time. And sometimes you'd take 45-degree rolls and you'd be trying to sleep and you'd literally almost like roll out of your, your rack. So it's kind of fun, but then it gets really annoying. And then the thought of trying to sleep in that is like impossible. But then the thought of trying to sleep in that environment when you're, you're troubled by the Lord, it just really goes to show like how Jonah had kind of got to this place where he was sleeping. He wasn't even like listening to the Lord's voice at that point. But again, like we said, all this points to Jesus, and, and then it points right back to us. So, so the temptation is here to go, Jonah, come on, that's really foolish. We know better not to do that. But then the finger points back at us, and it says, you know, these are the, these are the things, the worst tendencies that come out in the people of God. So often our minds, uh, we know of the holy God that we serve but our, our heart is not engaged in that and our actions are, are doing the opposite. So as we go about this passage today and we see where Jonah is in this prayer, I just want to ask your, just keep asking yourself, what is stifling obedience in your life? For Jonah, it was that hatred of the Ninevites and thinking that he knew better. For us, it could be different things. It could be not wanting to obey because we feel very comfortable where we're at. It could be that our desires are backwards and we don't have things lined up properly in our hearts. 
could be hatred, could be a number of different things, but the Lord, I pray that the Lord speaks to you right now as we go through this. What are things that we are off on that God wants us to surrender to? Because ultimately, the purpose of God is to transform us and to get us to this place of surrender. So with that, let's go ahead and read verse 1 and 2. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Notice, some, notice the place that Jonah's in and the words that he uses. The fish's belly, my affliction, the belly of Sheol, which literally means the, Sheol means the realm of the dead. Feeling like he's, he's dead inside. I don't know if you've, you've ever been to that place in your life. I know I have. I know so many people get there. Uh, Christian historians have often referred to it as the dark night of the soul. Where you feel so hard pressed on every side. And you feel that. Um, that great disparity in your heart. It's that place where you feel like losing hope. And this is where Jonah finds himself. He finds himself squeezed in this place of the fish. I remember my, uh, my first semester of college was like this for me. It was such a, a blessed time, but it was also like the hardest time of my life. And I remember all my friends, we lived in this six-story house, and it was, it was three-story, sorry, six-story house. Uh, it was a six-bedroom house, and it was three stories. And all my friends had left for, for Christmas break, and I was there by myself, which, number one, was terrifying, because you could hear every creak in the house, and I was so scared. But number two, I just remembered reflecting on, like, this season of just, like, loneliness and just despair and kind of trying to seek the Lord. And you get to that place, that dark night of the soul, where all you can do is you cry out. And you say, God, I need your help. What's going on? I don't, I don't understand. But let's recognize the two ways that we get into these situations that we see from, from life. Number one is just regular life circumstances that put us in these places of desperation. So these are the things that we don't necessarily have control over. They just happen to us. Um, we got sickness that affects our family or affects our own body. It's been a huge thing in my family that I've had to go through. My, um, my brother died of cancer um, a year ago. And my father, he, he, got, he got shot. And some of these things you have to wrestle with. Why, why did this happen to our family? Why, and you get to this point of, 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 of just compounding pressure. And you cry out to the Lord. But these are things that, that you just can't control. Other things would include losing your job. It's these kind of, the, you know, the life gives you lemons moments. Um, 
But then we see Jonah. And what's the other thing that happens that where we get in these situations? And it's we blew it. We, uh, we made decisions that led down certain roads, and we made other decisions and other decisions. And we've gone away from what God wanted, and we've led ourselves to this point of desperation up against the wall where our decisions have led to our own folly, and we're backed up against that wall. Uh, remember, this is the case with Jonah. He went away in rebellion, and um, these things kind of came upon his own head at his, at his own hand. I think of those comedy movies that you see like this, where someone makes a decision trying to solve a problem, and it just gets worse, and then they make another decision, and then pretty soon the whole house is on fire, and they just like throw up their hands. And it's funny, because it's relatable, right? Like, we get to that point. But the, the thing to notice with this is oftentimes it bleeds into the lives of others. So think of the sailors who are crossing the sea and then the storm comes up against them. They lose their cargo. They almost lose their ship. They almost lose their lives. All because of Jonah's decisions, right? We do the same thing. We make decisions that bleed negativity and negative things into other people's lives. But this is where it's beautiful. Because Paul mentioned this in the, in the prayer time, God's, God's sovereignty. So God's beautiful sovereignty, which means his supreme power over all things, and his providence, which means his protective care. So he's not the author of these events, but he's the transformer of them into goodness of his will. So we see the sailors who have this encounter with God because of, of what Jonah did. So God transforms Jonah's negative actions and rebellion into something where, where the sailors actually learn who God is through it. Isn't that amazing? That God's sovereignty and providence works even through our mistakes. That's how big God is. But notice, so the end of verse 2. You heard my voice. So in the heart of Jonah's distress, God hears his cry. And I want you to remember this today, that God is not far, but he's near to those who call upon him. There's a temptation when you're in these situations to think that God is far from you, but he's waiting right there with open arms to hear your cry. I think of the song we sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It says, Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered by a load of care? Jesus knows our every, every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So I don't know exactly where you are right now. If you're in this place of despair in your life, whether it be something you brought on yourself or something that's just life, or maybe you're not. Maybe right now life is great, which is awesome. But uh, help us to remember right now that it doesn't really matter where we are. God at all times wants us to lean on him. He wants us to call out to him. And he wants us to be in this place of, of finding humility that we see from Jonah. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. 
all your billows and your waves passed over me. If you remember from last week, there's this, um, this picture that's painted in chapter one of going down and going down and going down. Jonah goes down to Joppa, then he goes down into the ship and then down to the lowest part of the ship and finally he gets sleepy and he goes into a deep sleep. And so this is all Jonah's action going away. But then he says in verse three, he, he says that you cast me into the deep, your billows and your waves passed over me. So he says at some point, God kind of takes over this process where he's going away in rebellion and God says, this is the way you want to go. I'm going to take you farther down than you've ever been. And he's like, I'm going to take you down to the, to the belly of the whale. See, the largest theme in scripture, or one of the largest themes in scripture that we see is that God wants a humble heart. And he wants a submissive and surrendered heart to him and what he desires. And the thing is that God's going to craft this in us. And he's going he's gonna to do it through these situations where sometimes he will take us to down to depths where we, where we meet him because we're up against the wall and we have to cry out to him. So God's ways are far above all that we can imagine. And God's showing him how small Jonah actually is. That he thinks he knows what's going on, but guess what? He doesn't. He doesn't know what's going on. God took him all the way down to the heart of the sea for him to relent his rebel ways. And like I said, this can be the story of our lives, but it doesn't have to be. Like, God doesn't have to take you down to these depths for you to surrender and learn humility. Like, that's a choice that can happen right now in this moment. You don't have to get far down this road that you can't get to. All it requires is that you stop kicking against God. You stop fighting his goodness. I pray that today our prayer would be, Lord, teach us humility. Teach us surrender. I loved worship this morning because I think it hit on these themes so much. Lord, help us to not kick and fight against your goodness to go in any hard-hearted way, but be soft, moldable clay that you want to do, that will do whatever you want us to do. Amen? Verse four. This is uh, by far, I, I love this, this verse, because you start to see the turning in Jonah's heart. It says, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. When we're in these situations, the, one of the biggest things that can happen is the adversary, the enemy, Satan, whispers into our ear and says that God's done with us, that we're too far gone. But what's the What's the remedy? What's the answer for thinking these things? Because they're not true, as we see from Scripture, as we saw from Scripture just right now. God's not far. God's near. The remedy is exactly what Jonah does at the end of the verse. 
He says, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. See, the temple in Scripture um, was this place of mediation for man to God. And it was a place of intercession for man to God and sacrifice. But the temple goes beyond that. It's, it's, it's a picture, it's an earthly picture of, some, of a, a reality that's taking place in heaven. And we see that this reality in heaven is, is all about Jesus. Jesus is this idea of intercession. Jesus is this, this thing of sacrifice and of mediation. He is all those things. And the temple was made so that he, it points us to, to Jesus and these things. So he's that, that ultimate reality that we see in the shadow of the temple. So we see Jonah was at that point of losing hope and he was hearing those whispers that, I guess God's done with me. I guess I'm so far away from God. But he says, I will look at your temple. I will remember your sacrifice. And through Jesus, this is how God sees you. He sees not your sin, not your rebellion, because that was all of us, We were all in rebellion, and we were all in sin. But when you give your life to Christ, when you find him in the gospel, in the good news, God sees his life in us. Let's take verse 5 through 7 as one chunk and reread it again. So this is the transition of Jonah from as he cries out to the Lord and he's in this place of desperation, he turns now into worship. And it's so cool to see this. Verse five, the waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I love, I love uh, sushi, so seaweed always sounds good, but the idea of having it wrapped around my head does not sound fun. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So he's turning in worship. He's saying, this is where I was. This is where you took me to humble me. But now I'm seeing you. I'm seeing who you are, that you are my salvation, that you're bringing me up from the pit. Verse 7, when my soul fainted with envy, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. I want to read a few psalms that kind of illustrate this point as well. This is uh, Psalm 31, verse 1 through 5. It says, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. 
So we see this in the Psalms. I love the Psalms painting this emotional picture for us of God's salvation. The other one I want to talk about is Psalm 16, verse 10 through 11. For you not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's really what this, this transition to worship is. It is. It's seeing our rebellion. It's seeing the place that we're in of desperation. And then being transformed to see God's goodness and his mercy. And his, his um, amazing ways that he provides for us. But ultimately seeing what he did for us in Jesus. Ultimately seeing that he meets us at the cross. So these prayers of worship, these, these, these turnings of, of God to God in worship are described as sweet aromas, as incense in the presence of God. And they're described like that become, because they come out of this place of humility, of knowing who you are and knowing who God is. And they're in spirit and they're in truth, like it says in John 4. One amazing thing is the word worship, which in Hebrew is, is shakah, is actually, for the first time it's, it's used in the Bible, is in the story of Abraham and Isaac, when God tells Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham, with I'm sure a lot of fear, and I'm sure a lot of not understanding what God is asking, says that he will go. And if you read the story, God obviously didn't have him sacrifice Isaac, who was this promise of God, right? God said, I will give you a son, and God gave him Isaac. So it was this promise of God. But the, the point that's illustrated is that worship is when we give absolutely everything to God of ourselves, and we get to that place, and then he meets us. He meets us uh, with his goodness, and he meets us with his provision. Then verse 8, it's kind of an interesting transition. He starts talking about idols. So he gets to this point of worship, and then he, he starts talking about idols. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So we see God wants to extend mercy to all people. But idolatry is the thing that blocks, that barricades, that creates a wall for God's mercy to not, to not impact us. See, the history of Israel is this, this always dealing with these idols. And for, for Israel, they were made out of wood and stone. But I think Jonah's getting to this point where he's realizing the true and ultimate idol that we have to wrestle with is really our own will against God. And this is one of the foundational, I think the foundational sin in the Bible is saying what Jonah was, do, was doing. is saying, I know better than God. 
my mind is greater than the Lord's, which is insane. (laughs) When we think of how small we are compared to this universe that we live in, when we think of how small we are and how we do not understand even the smallest of things, to think that we have knowledge of the paths of where, how we should go or how our lives should be or what is right above God is the foundation of, of every sin that we see. And I think Jonah is getting to this place of realization that his, his idol was himself and his own will. In verse 9, it says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. This transition from running away has now became saying, okay, you are the God of salvation. You've met me in this hard, desperate place. I understand now my finite mind and how my will is not right in fighting against you and I will I will respond and say yes and I will go where you want me to go then verse 10 says the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land the more I read this the more I kind of find some humor in this you have such a beautiful prayer from Jonah intricate and, and just beautiful words. And then the next contrast is a fish vomiting um, up on a beach. And Jonah's just like falls out, lands on the ground. I'm imagining just all, like all kinds of horrible stuff, calamari all over him and all this stuff. <laughs> but isn't this true? Like sometimes we have these beautiful prayers, these beautiful moments with the Lord. But at the end of the day, like God wants to say, okay, thank you. Now go do what I said. <laughs> and that's that's kind of where Joe, where Jonah ends. He's he gets his second call, as uh, Pastor Paul's going to talk about next week in chapter three of God saying, "All right, now go do what I said. Go sp- speak the words of the Lord to Nineveh." And so he kind of gives him this this command again: "Go do what I said." So as we um, think about this this time this book as a whole here, and we wrap up. The whole theme here is surrender. The whole theme here is that there's rebellion, there's going wayward against God, and God wants to take us to this point of humility and surrender. Remember that this book was written to Israel, and as a person, as a Jewish person, you would read through this story and you would kind of quickly go, yeah, this sounds like my people. This, this is kind of the story of God. We, God gave the, the, the Israelites a special commission, a special mission to be the light to the Gentiles around them. But yet they went the opposite way. They went to Tarshish with their idolatry and with their continually flirting with the nations around them who were going the opposite way from what God wanted. So what did God do? God took them into captivity. God took them to a place of hardship. We see this in the book of Daniel where the the people of Israel were taken to Babylon 
forced into captivity. Their kingdom was, was robbed from them. They had to, uh, to serve the Babylonians. The good news is that they came out of that and idolatry wasn't a problem anymore. They, God had weeded that out of them, this, this idolatry. Unfortunately, you see the story continue and, and you see some of the things that developed after that where these Pharisees very much became um, some of these things we're talking about today. Prideful, thinking they have knowledge of God, but they really were missing the point. And these are the things that Jesus confronts them with. So you see that tendency even after that God had weeded some of these things out to go back to that. So we see Israel in this. And we know that the church has been grafted into Israel. So we can see the church in this. That all throughout history, the church has messed up in so many different ways, right? And tried to go the opposite way of what God wanted. But the grace of God has still worked and has still moved in the church. And he's done things in people's lives. And it's been, a, it's been an amazing story of how his providence has changed the church. But really what I, fo- I want to focus on today is just that, you know, the corporate, but I want to talk about the individual. That individual need uh, for surrender that, jo- that Jonah chapter 2 is talking about. And what that is, is really illustrated in, in baptism. So Christ calls us to die to self. And he says, once you die to self, this is where I meet you. This is where Christ meets us. To lose our lives, to lose our old selves, as Paul talks about, to lose the old man and be clothed in the new man, to be clothed in Christ. So we see baptism and this idea so riddled in Jonah of God taking you and plunging you down into that place where you die to yourself, where you completely lose yourself and you become dependent on the Lord. And that's where God meets us. And God transforms our heart towards worship and away from rebellion. As we close here, as we we get close and close, I I just want to say one thing, though. And that's God wants to take us to this place where we meet him and we change our lives towards obedience. But as we look at Jonah and we look at the rest of the story, there's this, Jonah changed his heart towards obedience and obligation. But I think there's a deeper level that God wants to take his people to. And what that is, is it goes beyond obedience and obligation, but really to seeing the vision and heart of God. And it's this level beyond just mere obedience. It's really being changed to have this tenderness of the way that we go where God is going. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that Jonah got to that level. He went and did what God said. But if we see throughout the story, as we're going to talk about in the next coming weeks, 
he still had a hatred for the Ninevites. And he still got angry at God for his mercy that he showed to them when they repented. So that's the call for us right now. God wants us to obey. God wants us to follow his voice. But it has to go beyond that. I think of the C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, He says, he describes it as going further up and further in. So the further up you go and the further you go, the more real God becomes. The more you see him, the more your mind is aligned with him. And it changes everything. You see people in a new way. You see your life in a new way. You see the things that are God's calling you to you, calling you to in an absolutely new way. On Wednesday nights, we uh, we're, we're going through Revelation. I encourage you all to come to that. Revelation chapter fourteen. It talks about these special hundred forty-four thousand saints who are uh, gathered on Mount Zion at the consummation of all things and the judgment of the world. But I've been dwelling on this phrase um, from that for for the last couple of weeks because it says, it describes them by saying they follow the lamb wherever he goes. And you get this picture in scripture of this intimate moving with God as he's your shepherd and you're the sheep. Again, that sheep's recognize that they have such limited small minds but they look to the shepherd and they follow so as we've gone through this message I hope you've you've thought about some of those ways in your own individual life that maybe you aren't giving over complete surrender to the Lord it's convicting for me teaching this message because there's definitely things in my life that I am not giving over to God, right? But this is what God wants us to speak to us. He wants to convict us and change us. I know for me, and for so much of us, it's reliance on earthly things that are going to pass away. Could be unforgiveness towards people that's hardening our heart for past traumas. Could be fear of doing what God wants. Especially in these times today where we're confronted with difficult decisions. How are we going to live our lives the right way and, and the fear of the repercussions? But remember, just like Jonah chapter 2, this is what God Wants us, this is where God wants us to be because through it, he wants us to make us new. He wants us to be new creations. So as we close here, I want this time to just be a time of corporate uh, repentance, a time of corporate worship, and just saying, God, I want to call on you like Jonah did. I want to be, be moved like, like Jonah did to say, God, I have nowhere else to go. I need your voice, Lord. I need you to guide me. And then seeing Jesus meeting us there, his salvation. The gospel is the good news that all people were in rebellion against him, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And when you recognize that you're in this place of depravity, that there's nothing in us that can be good, there's nothing in us that will be good, the only thing that we can do is say, God, I need your help. The only salvation would come from God at that point. And this is where we see Jesus. We see that Jesus came and was born a man and lived a perfect life and died as a sacrifice for you because that's because you couldn't pay the debt that you owed before God. But Jesus did. And then he gets to this is the point where he says, all right, now that you die to yourself, I'll meet you here and, and my life will become your life. It's a beautiful story. So as we pray, as we close and the worship team plays music, I pray however you respond right now, oftentimes we need to use our body as we respond to the Lord, whether that's raising hands, whether that's kneeling, whether that's coming up front, whether it's finding prayer from someone. It's not just our minds that need to be engaged, but oftentimes it's our body that needs to be engaged in these times of repentance. But as we pray, just I pray that you come to this place of surrender and knowing who God is. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness that you show us in Jonah chapter 2. that Jonah was this man who was going against you. And Lord, like him, we've gone against you. There are certain things in our life that we are not surrendered to, that we're kicking against you, we're kicking against your voice, we're having that cognitive dissonance. But God, in the light of your gospel, in the light of that song that we sang, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, God, we want you to meet us there and we want to be changed by you, not only to doing what you say, not only to obeying, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. By you taking our eyes out and putting in your eyes for the world around us, Lord. By you taking our heart out and you putting in your heart to be sensitive where you want us to go, Lord, to go further up and further in, Lord, past mere obedience, but to see the face of God. I think of Isaiah, Lord, when he saw you. He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. But you touched the coal to his lips, Lord, and you made him clean. And though it may burn when the coal touches our lips, Lord, and though it may hurt when you transform us, Lord, that's what we want. God, be over this time of worship in your name.